Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to the Nerd Association podcast from the WBNS FM studios in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch. And I'm your other host, Daniel Barnett. And here on Nerd Association, we like to, I don't know, we we have cool jobs and nerd being nerds are cool. I think we're going to start sweeping that catchphrase out. <laughs> but in any case, we think you're super cool. And, and if you're listening, maybe you think that we're not so annoying to listen to. Um, um, Chops, what do you think of when I say two, but I mean the number two or T-O-O in a clever way? Or T-O in an unclever way is one of the... (laughs) the bad versions of what we're going to talk about. Yeah. I mean, in a movie sense, you obviously think of sequels in another sense. I think of the bathroom when you say the number two, <laughs> Well, uh, you and, know what? Those might not be that far off as we will discover today. <laughs> and I also think of Sesame street. So which way, which way are we going? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> um, no, today we are going to be talking about sequels, uh, particularly what makes a sequel, what makes a good sequel, what makes a bad sequel. And, you came to me with this idea because of the release of a sequel that was 30 years in the making, and that yes. is coming to America. And for simplicity's sake, dear listener, today, we will be referring to it as coming to America 2 when we're talking about the sequel because you can't see the clever use of T-O <laughs> versus T-W-O when we speak. So coming to America, the original, coming to America 2 the most recent uh, sequel that was you know put out just in the last couple of weeks on Amazon Prime. I feel like if they wanted to do a play, they should have just done Coming to Zamunda because yeah. that's where you spend all the time pretty much in this movie. Yeah, it probably would have been a uh, a better <laughs> a better way to just differentiate them. I get that they just wanted the name recognition, mm-hmm. um, but in any case, so we recently. Uh, independently of one another, not knowing we were going to talk about it on this show, watched um, Coming to America 2. You couldn't escape it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. It was everywhere. They were like, it's coming. And you're like, all right, I guess I'll watch it. Was this something that you were excited about? Or was this just kind of one of those things where like you had time to kill and it was new, so you watched it? That's pretty much it. It wasn't something I, I know some people are really, really into the first coming to America. And I watched both of them this past week. And just because I had the time and I hadn't, I had never seen coming to America, the first one on anything but cable. And yeah. that one is an R rated movie. So there's a little bit more to it when you watch it in its true form. So, and it's, it's a really funny movie. I get why people really like it. It's not something I have a attachment to. It's a little bit before my time, but that one's really good. And then I was like, well, I watched that one. May as well watch the sequel too, and the sequel is fine. It's it, there are some sequels that take time and come out, and they're just god awful. This movie isn't quite on that level, but it's just it's something to do for ninety minutes, I guess. Yeah, Laura was the one that suggested it. She really liked the original and said, "Oh, you know, this is we ought to watch this." And and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, why not?" Um, I had not seen the original coming to America, uh, like you, it was, came out just slightly before I was born. Um, and as we've talked about before, the SNL brand of comedy that was big in the like late eighties through the nineties and into the early two thousands just never was my bag. Even as an adult, 
ha- watching stuff you know previously made so i guess i always assumed oh it's eddie murphy eddie murphy was on snl for that short amount of time i've seen other eddie murphy stuff that i didn't find particularly funny or like not unfunny but just like he doesn't annoy me but i just don't i'm not usually entertained by it yeah i think the difference with coming to america too is like it was the height of eddie murphy powers yes as far as like you know he had the 48 hours beverly hills cop uh, raw was coming out his stand-up special mm-hmm. and he was the biggest star in the world you know probably the biggest movie star in the world at the time yeah practically and then he comes out with this and this was another classic and then i don't know the exact i would have to look through them but then i know there's a fall off shortly after that an okay 90s with like the nutty professor and stuff like that those mm-hmm. movies are they're really stupid but i kind of enjoy them and then in the 2000s he really fell off and he was one of those actors one of the first maybe not ever but one of the first to regularly play several characters in his own movies and sometimes even play mm-hmm. opposite himself kind of started that thing that tyler perry is now famous for yeah, and then mike myers did it a bunch in uh the austin powers series as well right which i think you i mean especially for those snl alums it makes certainly makes sense that they're used to playing a bunch of different characters in the television show so of course it would make sense that they would play characters opposite themselves in a movie um yeah. laura had the comment and i thought it was maybe if you ask me to describe this movie in three words it's comedy black panther it's just like it's yeah, the exact I, I story that- <laughs> I said that at one point. I looked over at J-Lo and I was like, this is just the plot of Black Panther with jokes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I said pretty much the exact same thing. And and here's what I'll say. As a comedy, uh, as a movie, I was entertained by it in a way that I didn't expect I was going to be. I was kind of just watching it because, like, you know, my wife wanted to. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll watch it. But I was entertained by it. It's very plot heavy, which saves it as a movie for these sequels that seem unnecessary. Right. Because they have something to actually focus on. And it's not just retreads of the old jokes and redoing that and all the, you know, stuff that just doesn't work. I was really happy that they allowed his uh, his character to age up. Mm -hmm. All the characters who came back for this movie, they got to age up. So it wasn't a Dumb and Dumber 2 situation where it's like, no, these 50 year olds are not acting like the two guys in the 90s anymore i don't care how dumb they are you can't pass off this idea anymore or like it just doesn't work it's not as funny so this one did that the the only drawback to that is i think in the first one you can really tell because like i mentioned he was such a big star at that time and especially with like black culture but even just overall eddie murphy was tapped into the zeitgeist in the early 80s to mid 80s he knew exactly what people thought was funny thought was thought was hip thought was everything and he did that perfectly and in this one you get the sense that he's trying to do that at sometimes like with the oh i rather enjoyed being on fleek all that stuff and he's just not quite there anymore and that's also because culture ages so quickly so when you try to put internet jokes in a movie they're already old before you get to editing the movie. Well, and those moments are made for people that were Eddie Murphy's age when Eddie Murphy made Coming to America. Like that yeah. that crowd is being catered to with those. And you, you mentioned that like it was such a big movie for black culture. One of the things that I appreciated about it is how what is like a star studded black cast this had. I thought it was cool to see Eddie Murphy's uh, power 
like pool power on like he could call anybody in the community and be like, hey, you want to be in this movie? It's like a, the cast Salt is and amazing. Pepper show up for 30 seconds. Right. Like- <laughs> Gladys Knight's in the movie, like Morgan Freeman. It's- Maybe the funniest moments to me were Morgan Freeman's narration because you're so used to him doing these really serious uh, you know, narrative pieces, and then, <laughs> and then just some of the yeah. stuff he was doing were, were was so good. Well, and and even James Earl Jones, I, it was wonderful to see him. It was kind of sad to see him as old as I think he's almost ninety. I looked it up. I want to say he's like eighty eight, eighty nine, somewhere in there. Yeah, he's definitely up there, and uh, you know, he's only in the movie for two scenes or sure. so, and he's in bed for one of them. So yeah. yeah, you get that. You get that sense that you know it was very nice for him to come out, but yeah, I don't think he could do a full live action movie right now right for himself but it was good to see him yeah yeah but i just thought in, in that way i thought it was kind of it was a triumph i really appreciated that yeah. and thought it was a, was a cool i like tracy morgan i know some people you know he's kind of a a, a taste thing for sure. him because his comedy is very specific but i really like 30 rock i think he's really funny in that and i was glad to see him he's been doing it a little bit but he's like fully back in the swing of acting after getting in that uh, car accident a few years ago right so I think what we're landing on is that this movie relies on either nostalgia for the original or nostalgia for these actors. And it does that mm-hmm. well. It has an, an air, like a, a through line that you can follow. It's predictable. The whole story yeah. is very predictable. We've seen it before, but that's not always a bad thing. Like you said, if it's, it's, if it's more than just a vehicle for jokes, then it's doing something okay. Spoiler alert for coming to America too a little bit. Uh, so for anybody who doesn't want that, yeah, I just I at one point in the movie because uh, I probably wasn't paying attention that closely because it's you know the sequel to Coming to America. It's not that <laughs> big a deal, and I'm watching it and he's uh, he's interacting with the the princess, yeah, and when he's trying to get the whiskers off the lion and stuff like that, and I'm like. I'm like, why is there another love interest with the with the hairdresser? And I'm like, oh, because they're technically half siblings, right. or siblings or whatever, you know. So I'm like, okay, I get it. But it almost like it almost seems like if that wasn't the plot of the movie, that those two would have just been the two love interests. But they had to add another one because they were siblings. Right. That I that occurred to me in those moments too. That like there's there's a certain amount of sexual tension in these scenes <laughs> that <laughs> is is bordering on uncomfortable. And yeah, the, like you said, there's this plot armor where you know it won't. Well, you hope it won't happen. I guess it's possible <laughs> they could have done that, but I I would have you know been surprised. In any case, um, so this I think our episode today is less about. I, f- I feel like I've said what I have to say about... Oh, I have a dog incident. Hold on. I knew this was going to happen because I have a package from Amazon that I knew was going to come. Oh, no. Yeah. So give them a moment to have their freak out. <laughs> Speaking of dogs, we have yeah. our uh, in-home visit from Stop the Suffering, the adoption agency or foster agency, whatever. Nice. This evening. So that's cool. Very cool. Are, now, are they just coming to check the place out? Or are they actually bringing dog or dogs with them? They're just coming to check the place out okay. today. Yeah. Um, the, the, and then I guess the next step is a meet and greet with the, with the dog. Very cool. Yeah. We, yeah. Ro- Rothman helped out a lot with it. Yeah. So I think we, we don't have a full episode's worth of stuff to say about coming to America, too. It was fun. Watch it if you're looking for a fun movie. I think that's probably what most people would expect from it. And it's PG-13. It's a little more appropriate for all ages yes. this time around. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly not the uh, the level of raunch 
let's use that phrase because I'm suddenly a <laughs> suburban parent or something uh, that they, a lot of people would associate, especially Eddie Murphy in the in the 1980s and 90s. In any case, um, we thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about sequels as a concept. Obviously, Hollywood is super infatuated with sequels and remakes and reboots, and we thought it would be good to talk about what makes one work, what makes one fail, why this? Why? Yes. Why so many? <laughs> why? Well, the the easiest answer is that it's just so easy for Hollywood to bank off of, oh, I know the name of that thing, and then people go and see it. And coming to America, too, if it had gone into theaters, probably would have made two, $300 million or something. Yeah. I read this. They uh, Paramount sold it to Amazon for just $125 million, which I'm assuming is a reaction to the lack the fact that people aren't going to theaters very much still right. coming out of this because you would think an Eddie Murphy movie uh, with a bankable a bankable name with a huge bankable star returning to a franchise would garner a little bit more than that but yeah 125 million to Amazon to to get the streaming rights to it you said Paramount did yep you have to think though that they just knew they didn't have the distribution that Amazon they or just did I, Paramount Plus that's yeah. what I don't understand but the problem they is they sold this do you really think coming to America too is the thing that launches Paramount Plus? Also, think about the fact that deal would have had to have been made a year ago. Yeah, it was because this was actually supposed to come out in like December, right. I think. So it even got pushed the, its release date a little later, even once it was already on Amazon. So I did a little bit of research. Well, for yeah, I did a little bit of research about sequels. The most re I found a really good thorough article, but it's from 2015. So that's the most recent thorough data I could find. Well, we need the sequel to the article. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll call on Stephen Follows. <laughs> so this is from Stephen Follows. He is I as far as I can tell a like a British film reviewer, film education professional. And so in this article in 2015, he looks at, at the past 10 years worth of data and then looks at the broader history of movies. And at that time, which I think it's gotten even worse since then, I say worse. Yeah, that's a maybe too, too strong. But in 2013 and 2014, seven of the top 10 grossing films were either sequels or prequels. So more movies than not that made money were a sequel or a prequel of the top 50 highest grossing films of all time at that time 33 of them reference events which took place in another film on the same list so think <laughs> about that for a second and that can only have gotten deeper when you think about the fact that uh the star wars sequel trilogy and avengers infinity war and endgame are now the top five highest grossing movies of all time i believe mm -hmm. that may have yeah. changed but i mean at least at one point all five of those were on the list at the same time so, yeah, definitely there's this trend in Hollywood to to bank on people's nostalgia in a big way. Uh, it's easy when you have, uh, you know, you already have a team that put a movie together. It's probably less expensive to try to wrangle a whole new production crew and cast and writers and things in the instances where you have all the original folks on on board. Yeah, and even from a writing standpoint, just like the concept idea, like you have already so much done for a movie like Coming to America 2. Right. You that, have all the backstory. You know, yeah, and then you just have to write a plot. You could I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me if Coming to America 2 was, you know, a plot that they reworked 
Sure. You know, sometimes people do that. They'll buy studios will buy scripts and they'll just rework things. And when you have a sequel, it just rework it into a sequel. I mean, we were joking about how it's just basically the plot of Black Panther and yeah. probably because yeah, they just they probably just reworked a, a plot they already had an idea for. Well, and I'm saying this purely out of speculation. It could be that that was an early draft of Black Panther. <laughs> that yeah. they ended up not That's... that they Disney didn't use, so the scriptwriter sold it to somebody else. Can we get into literary theory for a few minutes, which is like my my place let's, yeah let's do it i will lead the discussion on literary yeah theory. please do <laughs> so <laughs> what why do we love sequels or uh, we love sequels because they give us more of what we loved in the original right it, we love mm-hmm. the characters we love the story no matter what kind of genre it is it's nice to have that twinge of familiarity and especially when it's a beloved character it's great the problem yeah. is is that a poorly done sequel can not only just be cringeworthy because of all the pitfalls that come with writing a story that continues from another story, it can make the first thing seem worse. <laughs> it can ruin yes. the original. It can, yeah, it can ruin a character for the original. It can ruin a plot line for the original, or it can just be so bad that you just discard the whole thing. Yeah. So there are two types of true sequels, and we'll talk about in a second that there is there are other movies that are related to a movie but are not sequels or prequels but hold on mm. there are continuation sequels which are the same characters usually continuing the events of or or you know built upon the events of the first film but a separate story that can be taken all on its own and then there are generational sequels which are set in the same universe and often feature the older characters from the first one. So coming to America too, great example, you know, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, uh, those characters were in the original and now are a generation older and we're they're there as support, but the young people, the younger people are the ones that we focus on. And they're the ones carrying the plot and the story. Yeah. Correct. Now these different, these are different from a series. So the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a series because that story is one long story told in three parts. Cause it was just too long to tell all at once, both okay. for the book or the movie. Uh, Harry Potter is a series. None of those movies are technically sequels in a literary theory sense. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, and then as you said, there's remakes and reboots, which aren't, aren't sequels. Because they are trying to rehash the same story over for a newer audience with different actors with sometimes with entirely different characters, depending on what, you know, what. Yeah. So in in movies now, you've got the you've got the hard reboot, which that's basically like where you just start from scratch, but it's an established franchise. It completely dis discards the canon from what was what was previously told right. so i wrote down some examples for people you know to put that in their headspace robocop in 2014 mm-hmm. established franchise same character of robocop but that has nothing to do with the 80s and 90s ones total recall 2012 also falls into that and then all three continuations of spider-man although they may be linking up here in the near future, like we were talking about last week on WandaVision. But on their own right now, those are all the Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland. Those are all hard reboots of Spider-Man. It's interesting you said that because one of the comments I was going to say or going to make was that like Superman, Spider-Man and Batman are maybe the most rebooted franchises that I can think of. And they always get hard. They always get hard rebooted into series. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, there's two things that work there, <laughs> and then there's the then there's the soft reboot, which is 
kind of like that's probably the closest to the generation sequel is kind of what you were yeah yeah exactly uh so that's a continuation of an established movie series it ignores certain events from that series which that's the biggest thing here which we're seeing a lot with movies like halloween 2018 yeah ignores everything after halloween one from 1978 and halloween's done that like two or three times now where they've cut out movies from canon and continuity and done it. And then there's also been a hard reboot of that by Rob Zombie. So it's a little confusing when you try to keep, especially with these franchises that are overstuffed. Yeah. Now, when you talk about, I mean, there are certain genres that we that we um, forgive this more from. So, for instance, um, looking back at this article, in that 10-year period I was talking about, the adventure action and horror movies are the most frequently sequeled that that also have box office success and that makes sense because in some ways we expect less from those films right if you go to watch if you go to see and they're the quote-unquote popcorn films right so if you go to see a transformers movie or you go to see halloween good examples of you expect a genre film and you don't necessarily, I, I know they're super fans, but let's ex- not exclude them, but give us a break. Super fans like a transformers movie is cool because there's big boom robots go bang and boobs. Usually um, those are the things that yes. sell a transformers movie and a horror movie. The things that, and the, Mountain Dew and Bud Light <laughs> and Mountain Dew and Bud Light. And uh, the things that sell a horror movie are usually like blood and boobs and screams like that's pretty that's pretty much it obviously there are examples of those genres that are nuanced and wonderful don't at me but you you forgive those now i think where a lot of people are will not forgive (laughs) is thrillers suspense movies dramas um interesting note romantic comedies are the least profitable kind of sequel of those different genre films the story's already been told yeah it, what it, do you do break them up again and get them back together yeah that doesn't that right. doesn't work for, for just the the conceit of the of the romantic comedy every romantic comedy ends with them walking down the street after they got back together big drone or helicopter shot going up a nice song playing and you imagine that they go happily ever after down that street right so you don't need another one precisely and and given the the narrative arcs that most movies follow we've talked about the hero's journey before on this program i don't need to <laughs> go into it in any gritty detail here but yeah you expect that the 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 protagonist is thrust into a situation they grow up because of it they are triumphant ultimately even if they have to you know make sacrifices along the way and that's the story we expect so uh, uh, of the continuation sequel okay there isn't therein is our first problem how do you tell a story where everything wraps up neatly at the end and then somehow believably, whatever period of time later, this same hero has to do the same thing all over again? It might not necessarily be the exact same story. They might not have to uh, overcome mm-hmm. the same threat, although often they do. But how do you now believably tell that story where they get pulled back into this adventuring heroic life? That's been a huge problem with sequels is it just seems like the same plot of the first movie just done over again. And maybe, you know, they maybe up the scales a little bit, up the ante, make it a little bigger, but it, it's just not quite there. I can't remember who I heard say this once, but they, they said there was there was pieces that like make a sequel worthwhile and you have to have like all three of these 
to to make it work um i think it was three things it was it was one expand the world so the world has to get bigger you know if you were in new york city with somebody or something you have to then go a a little further outside that expand that how do these characters interact with with the rest of the world uh going along with that number two is like expand the lore so whatever there was being pushed into the movie that was you know the interesting or the the sci-fi of it or, or whatever it might be you have to expand that and it has to make sense and then you have to add new and interesting characters with those expansions right Let's, you know, that Star Wars is beloved to me, but that doesn't mean that it's immune to criticism. I mean, Star Wars is one of the worst offenders in this particular how do you tell a story that isn't just a repetition and isn't just like, it's that bad guy plus bigger lasers. And in fact, (laughs) Star Wars is a Death Star, a second Death Star, Star Killer, which is just a Death Star, but it kills sons. (laughs) <laughs> and then like the fleet and rise of Skywalker that is the like the planet killing fleet where every every starship is also a death star like I again love Star Wars but that can be what it turns into and also you have that issue of of power creep the villain becomes more powerful in in some you know, noticeable way in order to challenge the hero. And then the hero has to become powerful in some noticeable way. And then if you want to keep telling the story, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z are often like, this is the joke, right? That, yeah, you know, that every time your, your hero becomes more powerful there, then the villain becomes that much more powerful. And then eventually it's like, he's level 9,000. <laughs> it just becomes absurd. Yeah, and I think Marvel's doing a decent job of towing that line mm-hmm. because they uh, they do a really good job with their characters. But it is getting to that point where it's like every time, maybe every like third Marvel movie or now TV series when that comes out, you like have to rethink. Well, who is the strongest yeah. Avenger? Who is the strongest character in here? Because they keep adding things, and it like the fact that um, Thanos without the glove could take on Thor and Captain America, but with the glove and most of the, well, I think when he had all the infinity stones, Captain America stopped them for a second on his own, just with his hands. Yeah. There's, and there's little things like that, that when you go into sequel, it's like, you have to make them stronger, but then narratively, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Marvel has, as you said, by and large done that very well so far. I'm interested to see. I'm both heartened by the idea that going into this next phase, they're not just, So far, they're not just setting up another big planet or universe-ending bad guy shows up, uh, an enemy enters the arena. They're at so far, they're making it a more nuanced story about the consequences of the things you do to beat the big bad, and what happens when your hero's power is the is the threat. Hopefully, that that bears out. Um, So far, so good. But yeah, it, it be, and that's a comics problem. And that's why the Marvel comics reboot so frequently. And they mm. and they've had to like Marvel is famous for having these different continuities like Earth 616, etc., where like they have so many storylines from so many different authors that finally they had to create a multiverse to make any of it make sense at all. <laughs> Wherein they could just say, oh, this story is different from the way you remember it. It's because it's in a different multiverse. Perfect. I, yeah, exactly. Write it off like that. <laughs> exactly. And that at least gives you a little bit of 
explanation. A lot of people, we talked about this previously, a lot of people thought there was a possibility that the Star Wars sequel trilogy would be retconned as a, mul- as a multiverse thing. That Disney mm-hmm. might make a new sequel trilogy and that just said, well, that was a what-if scenario, but this is the real one now. I, I don't think that'll happen, but... Yeah, which that would be like an example of a soft reboot where you would just reboot it and say, ignore those those ones. Yeah. This is where the story actually kept going. Right. So those are continuation sequels. The other kind of sequel is the generational sequel. And if the, con- and if the continuation sequel's pitfall is the plot and making the plot make sense then the generational sequel's pitfall is the characters, right? Because in order for it to be a generational sequel, you have to have the characters, usually older, that you're used to, and they have to make sense for them. And that's where comedies fall into such a pitfall, because I'm thinking to, you know, coming to America to was was all right, but it's still, you know, these characters aren't as funny as they once were when they're older. But the the three that come to mind when I think about this, and these are all, I think, well over 10 years or right around it when they when they came out, because there's Zoolander 2, mm-hmm. Anchorman 2 and Dumb and Dumber 2. All three, the the first, the first, the original one, very beloved amongst comedy circles is really funny movies with really outlandish characters and things like that. And then you make the sequel when these guys are 10 years older and it just doesn't land. It's, it, I don't know what it is, but they, they're, I mean, I, well, I guess I it sort has, of know what it, it has is. Neither, it has neither plot nor character development. So there's yes. nothing to draw you into the story. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, they're essentially just like almost parodies of the original movie right. at that point. And th- that works for 10 minutes as like a special on like a stupid, like a late night show or something. But then you just, then you add some, and then you attach some sort of reusable random plot to it. And you act like you've got a new movie just because people love these characters. And it works. People go and see these movies, but they're just never any good. And you mentioned sometimes it ruins the original one. We talk about how sequels are this thing that uh are big huge now but it sometimes is sometimes is interesting to think of uh, comedies as, as a maybe a great example of that as a series not a sequel one little interesting tidbit i want to go back to generational sequels in a second but one interesting tidbit there are at least 19 film series in hollywood history that had more than 10 films the mm-hmm. longest uh one of them is the durango kid which was made between 1945 and 1952, 64 films. That's nine a year. Well, <laughs> and they were, and they were films, but at that point you're just making a television series, but every episode's long. Yeah. That's, that's basically what yeah. you're doing, which I mean, that's sort of what Marvel does. Yeah. I, I think you, you probably brought, a little higher production value. Yeah. You, you brought up the idea of, of like of Anchorman and these other comedy films that are trying to be sequels but should just try to be series where one film doesn't really impact the other one you're just trying to make another movie <laughs> they yeah. they they almost fail by trying to be sequels when they aren't if that makes sense mhm yeah that that would be interesting yeah if you just kind of you know we like the characters we, right. it doesn't really it doesn't really matter what the plot is so don't even try to bend over backwards and make it work 
with the first one. Just give us funny situations for these characters, like a, like a television series. You know, sitcoms famously are super episodic. Right. They've started to get more into, you know, linear storytelling a little bit, but pretty much it's just situation with the characters you like, you know how they react, and it's funny. Right. That's, that's what you should do with these old comedies. Don't try to, like, make it connect so much to the original one. We, we know the original movie. I can go watch the original movie if I want to. Just give me new stories with these characters. Yeah. The generational sequel, to get back to that idea for just a second, is tough because you see these characters do heroic things. And often, you know, uh, uh, an action movie might take place over just a day or even a few hours. And you see these characters doing like a ton of stuff. And then they do a generational yeah. sequel where you're just supposed to assume that very little has happened in the past 5, 10, 20 years. And it one, that just doesn't make sense for the character. But two, you have to be able to both have a familiar character while also having a, 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 a an in-depth character. So it's you don't want them to be exactly the same as they were in the original, but you don't want them to be unrecognizable when compared to their original character. And you can't you can't take the time to show what got them to where they are because then you spend half of your movie in flashback or whatever. Right? So it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Sequels are hard to do well, and that's why most sequels aren't good. Or they're not as good as the original, or they make you feel bad, or you just feel unfulfilled afterwards because they're difficult. When you're talking about that generational one and how it's hard to, you know, have the exact same character, but he hasn't changed at all. And it made me think of a series that both has like good continuation, there's some good continuation sequels, and then also generational sequels with Die Hard and how John McClane mm-hmm. is still just like, he's like saved the day on all these numerous occasions and he's still just like a random beat cop, like, detective yeah. <laughs> cop. And yeah, and then like it, it uh then you know you get lazy things like a, a love interest just dies off screen or stuff like you know so that's why he can have a new love interest in this one that we've talked about the karate kid yeah. that they don't kill off the love interest but he's a different love interest in all three of them and it's just like a throwaway line at the beginning of each movie right yeah i did a little research for this one of the um one of the sources I drew from was a YouTube channel called Overly Sarcastic Productions, and they do all kinds of like things on history and literary stuff, yada, yada. These are not my originals, right. though they are two that I know. Um, they had what I thought were two exceptional examples of continuation sequels and generational sequels, and they're both cartoons, which I think is funny. Okay, Frozen 1 and Frozen 2 are th- a perfect example of a continuation sequel. Chops, I don't know how familiar you are with Frozen 1 and Frozen 2. I suspect not very. I'm familiar enough. Okay. I had to see Frozen 2 in the theaters uh, because <laughs> right. J-Lo really wanted to. So so I, I, I am more familiar with that one because I've never actually sat down and finished Frozen 1. It's, it's a cartoon. Yeah. I don't dislike cartoons, but it's just not – I'm not the demographic for Frozen. It's Okay. I, I, all I will say is Frozen 1 is a complete story within itself, and Frozen 2 picks up from that end point and, and builds on the sort of context of the original while also developing the characters in a believable way by presenting them with new and believable threats and having them develop together as sisters. Great example. Watch them mm-hmm. together. Apparently, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> I like this one because I watched this one back in the day. Did you ever see Batman Beyond? Yeah, the where old Bruce Wayne mentors a younger kid to be the Batman in the the cool sleek black Batman right. suit. Yeah, so old Bruce Wayne is a is a perfect example of a generational sequel character done really well. 
because old Bruce Wayne gets out of the business for his health. They give you glimpses of that when he tries to exert himself too much and grasps his chest and you know what I mean? Um, but it also shows there's explicitly an episode where a Batman from the past that is Bruce Wayne comes and is in the future with old Bruce Wayne and uh, old Bruce Wayne says something to the effect of like, man, I can't believe how green I was back in the day. And when he says back in the day, he means in Batman's prime. And he says, now, if I if I want to get information out of somebody, I know how to do it. And he basically alludes to the fact that like Batman got out of the game because of his health, but also because he started torturing villains and he like started to lose. He started to lose himself. And that's why he got out of the game. And that's a perfectly yeah. It tells you everything you know need to know about that character. It's perfectly believable given Batman's like story arc and his character. And it's it's great in a way that a lot of generational sequels fall flat on developing characters. Within a few lines, you understand how this Batman got to where he is. One thing I wanted to talk about too while we're on this is um a series that a lot of people hold near and dear to their heart, and it's a another classic of the eighties that's been going through a few iterations now so there's ghostbusters the original one yeah then there's ghostbusters 2 that's a pretty simple continuation sequel that that's 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 easy then there's ghostbusters 2016 which i think maybe was considered to be a reboot at a certain point but then it just it, it clearly turns into just a straight up remake where they just basically gender swapped the the main characters and it did not go over well with fans uh and I, there's a whole list of online things of why people maybe didn't like it but i think it boils down to it wasn't that great of a movie and it that's where and that one to me has like some gray area to it about like how much of a, a remake is it and how much of it could have been a reboot but they i mean they started off and there's no idea of these these other characters there's no building off of that and now you have ghostbusters going that now ghostbusters is going into a soft reboot right where they're doing ghostbusters afterlife with paul rudd and uh what's the kid from from strange 11 <laughs> no um, not 11 the other one no isn't oh yeah 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 wait you're right uh i thought it was a wolf reinhardt well, finn finn, finn wolf whatever yeah <laughs> a wolf reinhardt man we could just do this i think wolf reinhardt was the character that was arnold schwarzenegger from the simpsons i think he was wolf reinhardt no. anyway that's neither so, here nor yeah there. So now you're getting a soft reboot with Ghostbusters, and we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, soft reboot's probably the better route to go for um, a comedy, but it doesn't work because the only reason people like the comedies is the characters. Ghostbusters at least has the lore to it. Sure. That's the biggest problem with comedy sequels is there's not much to them. It's it is a situ it's mostly a situational character thing. It's funny. You tell the story, and it's over. Right. I, I don't know where you go from there. And that's why you end up with these sequels that are just disjointed and are nothing. Yeah. I, I think this is, you're, we're moving into it. It's a perfect opportunity to talk about sequels done well and sequels done poorly. Um, and again, we kind of discussed, there is a difference between the sequel and the series movie as much as possible. We'll try to make those distinctions, but chops, if you have to think of one sequel that is either particularly well done, great sequel or particularly badly done, which you kind of gave an example of here. Where where are we with that? What what sticks out to you as one of those two things? A great sequel that well, I really like George A. Romero's original Dead trilogy, mm -hmm. 
but I don't know how much you count those as sequels or if they're reboots or something, but I think those are all, all the first three night of the living dead, dawn of the dead day of the dead. Yeah. Those are all really good. Um, and then we've talked about it before on this show, the back to the future trilogy, I think is, is spot on. I think all the Jurassic park ones are a complete fall off. Yeah. They like the, they're okay. They're fine. And I I'm entertained by them because they're action and adventure, but the first one is so much better than any of the, now there's four of them, five of them. Well, yeah, four subsequent, four subsequent. Yeah. 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 Uh, Um, no, I think you're right. And I, to, to pick on Spielberg for a second, I think that jaws is another great example of like the original was a masterpiece is considered one of the best films of all time. And the immediate follow-up and then jaws ended up having i think four sequels also one two three four and the revenge if i recall and they're garbage i mean one of them and i couldn't tell you which one is okay (laughs) that's the best you can say about it um and those are more or less true sequels and so are jurassic park because they they feature some of the same characters from before jurassic Mm -hmm. world is a reboot because yeah, Goldblum. Does Goldblum appear in either one of those? It's a soft reboot because it definitely the original dra- the events of the original Jurassic Park do exist in it. And you're and yeah, Jeff Goldblum is in the second one. Yeah, which is called Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, and there's a third one coming out for Jurassic World, and I believe Sam Neill and uh, Laura Dern are going to be in that one. Going to be in it, I think. And may I don't know about Jeff Goldblum on that one, but I'm pretty sure on Sam Neill and Laura. I'm uh. I'm definitely sure on Sam Neill. I'm pretty sure on Lord, Laura Dern. I don't know Jeff Goldblum's status for the third Jurassic World, though. He's around. He'll probably jump in. Can we say that Empire Strikes Back is considered the best sequel of all time, largely? Yeah, that's fair. That's one where it's a great argument to say that it's better than the first one. Yeah, and quite frankly, now we can look at it and say, well, it's part of a series, and that's true, but at the time... Lucas didn't know if he was going to get to make another movie. So when he made Star Wars, which was not A New Hope originally, it was just Star Wars, he thought that was the only movie he was going to get to make. And so Empire Strikes Back in that sense is in fact a true sequel because he didn't know he was making it (laughs) at the time or he didn't know he was going to get to make it. And it's, yeah, as you said, it's probably the best Star Wars movie. Yeah. Certainly up there. Something I hope we can see more of, we've talked, uh, I already mentioned it once on this podcast, we've talked about Karate Kid before, and in those podcasts I talked about Cobra Kai, the the now streaming series that switches it to the protagonist as the bad guy from the original one and how that, and I think that's a cool idea for these things you bring back from 20, 30 years ago or yeah. whatever. Change the change the medium and change the the way you look at the story we've already seen all the story with daniel son so it's cool to see a story from the other side with these characters still growing up so you still get it's sort of like a way to do a soft reboot that doesn't have to just completely introduce new characters into the world i think to to harp on the star wars example one of the things that is great about the mandalorian and is going to be on display in the new uh, was on display in Rogue One and is going to be on display in the new Cassian Andor series is that idea of making you look at the galaxy through a different lens where people recognize the Jedi as either myths or failures. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the redeeming qualities of the sequel trilogy is examining like what are the Jedi and why is it 
anyway, but it never paid off. We don't have to go there. Point is, <laughs> I'm ex- I'm especially looking forward to the Cassian Andor series because one of the things I loved about Rogue One is they showed you the rebellion as a bunch of flawed, ethically dubious characters who they were doing the right they were doing things for the right reason, <laughs> but they were doing things that if you didn't qualify them would look like bad guy stuff. Cassian Andor's yeah. introduction in Rogue One is that he kills his informant to make sure that that the information stays safe. So I, I think any I think I agree with you. I think if you're gonna do these, however, series that build on old things or sequels or whatever, however you want to qualify them, they need to bring something different to the table to be well received and to be interesting and palatable. And that's mm-hmm. where I think a bad sequel either doesn't bring anything new to the table or doesn't bring anything believably new to the table. I think the last thing we need to talk about that mm-hmm. sort of fits in with this are remakes. Yeah. Which I sort of mentioned Ghostbusters 2016 uh, eventually amounted to a remake. I'm not sure what their original plan was with that one, but that one looks like a remake. Some that I, I think are are good. The 2004 Dawn of the Dead, but that was directed by Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. I like that movie. Scarface is technically a remake. Yep. Um, but it just, you know, aged up. King Kong has had a few. The uh, Peter Jackson one right. is pretty good. And now we've got a ton of Godzilla. And now King Kong and Godzilla are crossing over again. And then you get into the Disney live action remakes, which I watch. And er- almost every time I feel they're very unnecessary. Yeah. I will say that a, a great remake is often one where you don't realize it's a remake because no one talks about the original. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think a great example, there are two examples that come to mind for me immediately. The first one is the thing, uh, which most people don't realize that the 19 yep. is, is it's a remake. It was not the first one. And it's funny. They're watching the it's, I think it's called like the thing from outer space, the original one. Right. But that's the movie they're watching when, uh, Lori Strode is, um, precisely. Yeah. Is, I, uh, uh, babysitting the kids in the first Halloween. And then Carpenter made the thing after that. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is, in the Hannibal Lecter series of films, if you will, uh, not Silence of the Lambs, but Red Dragon, which is the prequel with Ed Norton hunting down Hannibal Lecter for the first time. Um, that is a remake of Manhunter, which was the actually the first time you see Hannibal Lecter on film. Uh, it was released, I think, in 87. It had Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter. And it's a fine film, but... Uh, to me, Red Dragon, I love Ed Norton. I love Anthony Hopkins. I thought that that film, Hannibal as a sequel to Silence of the Lambs, was a little forgettable. Not forgettable, just not great. But Red Dragon, I thought, was is a, another great example of a film that you might not even realize was a remake because it's so well done and no one talks about the fact that Manhunter came first. Um, a lot of people don't know The Fly is also right. a, a remake that that's that yeah i think what we're getting on is with the exception of i guess king kong which i still think is an okay movie but it's way too long if you remake a movie don't try to make it that decade that the movie originally came out in yeah just take the story and change whatever you need to to make it work in modern times and then remake the movie and i think that makes it less obvious that it's a remake and it just makes it more palatable to audiences if they wanted to watch like the psycho remake is like shot for shot. Yeah. What's the point of that? 
I can just go watch the original Psycho. And so, you know, update it to modern audiences and use the story and put your own little spin on it. And I think that's the right way to go about a make uh, a remake. Yeah. And think about how much we have seen like Shakespeare plays done in modern times um, and how wonderful often those are. People like to joke about that. There's especially yeah. in the theater community. There's this joke about like Shakespeare in you know the 1980s and everyone's wearing like business suits and they're all on wall street and yada yada um or even i and i you know i can't say that a great example comes to mind but even films that are remakes of stories and you don't even realize it because they change enough of it that it's like the storyline you recognize but done like uh on the Shakespeare one, 10 Things I Hate About You is yes. Taming of the Shrew. And most people would not pick up on that at all. I mean, it's unless you want to know that that play from William Shakespeare right. or somebody told you, really, because yeah. there's nothing in it that really makes you think it's Shakespeare. They don't do anything cheesy like where they're trying to make the, the characters speak in ambic pentameter or anything like that. Thank you. That is that's exactly the kind of thing I was trying to come up with and knew was they knew there was an example out there. <laughs> but <laughs> but in any case, folks, uh, that's that's what we think about sequels. Obviously, a controversial topic. I, I don't know. There's a whole lot of controversy in the way we covered it. Um, but we'd be interested to know if you're out there listening. What are some of your favorite sequels? Obviously, that we couldn't cover the whole gamut or sequels that you were very excited for that you watched and it either ruined the original one for you or it was just so disappointing that you felt sick. Yeah. Cause we love vitriol too. Um, <laughs> so let us know what you think about sequels, your favorite sequels, your least favorite sequels. You can do that by reaching out to us on Twitter. Our handle is nerd That's N E R D underscore a S S O C. You can also email us at nerd at gmail.com. Let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about on the show in the coming weeks, or maybe you can even come on and be one of our nerds and share with us something that you're uh, overly passionate about. Thanks for listening. We will, uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>